Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode. I'm really happy to bring on Sandra Younger, and she's an author, she's a speaker, she's a leadership coach, she's a writing mentor. She's the author of The Fire Outside My Window and just a prolific author, and I'm happy to bring a creative onto the show. So Sandra, welcome. Thank you, Chris. Happy to be here. Yeah. So kind of talk about your backstory, set the stage for the conversations. Okay. I uh, did write a book. I have it here so I can, uh, for those of you who have video, uh, it's show and tell here. The Fire Outside My Window, a survivor tells the true story of California's epic cedar fire that happened 20 years ago. So 20 years ago, I was a magazine editor with a background and degrees in um, journalism. And my husband and I had just bought a beautiful house on the side of a mountain in the back country of San Diego, California, just a beautiful spot. But we had underestimated the fire danger. We woke up in the middle of the night, seven months later, to the site of fire outside our window, just as the book title indicates. And we had to run for our lives mm-hmm. with our two big shaggy Newfoundland dogs and our brainless cockatiel Chelsea, I call her brainless Chris because I took care of her and she only loved my husband, Bob. So there you go. And we jumped in the closest car, which happened to be my little Acura Coupe. We could not find the keys to my husband's big SUV. That would have made more sense. And we took off. I'm driving. There's only one way out. It's down a steep mountain road, just a little sliver of asphalt carved into the side of the mountain. And just when I got to the spot that was the most treacherous of all, we hit the smoke and I could not see the road. And I'm screaming at my husband, I can't see the road. And he's screaming back, just don't wreck the car, which really meant, please do not drive off the side of this mountain. And just at that moment, Chris, a bobcat, a wild cat in Wildcat Canyon, that was the name of our neighborhood, jumped in front of my headlights and took off into the smoke. And something in me knew the cat was on the road I couldn't see and something in me knew to follow it. So I followed the bobcat. And when I got to the place where he had disappeared in the smoke, I could see these two red smears, like smeary fields below me and a dark place in between that had to be the road. And I realized everything ahead of us is on fire, but there was no going back because when we left our house, the fire was right there. So we negotiated our way through these two lines of fire for about a mile until we broke out into clear night. And that is how my husband and I and our two shaggy noops and Chelsea the brainless cockatiel escaped what became known as the Cedar Fire for 14 years, the biggest wildfire in California history, and now seen as a bellwether in fire and um, climate history. It was one of the first, it's been documented as one of the first of the modern megafires that we're now seeing with um, startling regularity all over the world. I was a journalist, and so I figured I have to tell the story And that is how I launched into writing this book. And that is also the the way my life changed and the way I discovered principles of resilience, which I think is going to be what 
your audience might be most interested in today. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of set the stage. Like I said, we're going to talk all about this. In in the fire outside my window, you recount your personal experience and how has writing and revisiting the story uh, impacted your perspective on resilience and recovery in the face of natural disasters? Of natural disasters and any kind of disaster, really, even little things I discovered it uh, it definitely draws a line down the middle of your life. Nothing is ever really the same. It's always before or after the fire. So that happened. Writing the book was cathartic for me in a way because my journalist brain wanted to know what the heck just happened to me. You know, what? how did this happen? All of that. And so I got to ask questions. I did over 100 interviews and I just ask questions until I was sort of running out of questions. And then I wrote it all down into this book so that we would have a record, a historic record of this fire that we would not forget the 15 people who died in the fire, people who did not get out, including 12 of my neighbors in Wildcat Canyon, people within a mile of us. So it was a miracle that we made it out. And um, as we were recovering. And as I was doing my interviews, I I heard a lot of people calling us and the media was calling us fire victims. Victims. It's such a disempowering word. And it didn't resonate with me at all because we had survived, Chris. It, our neighbors had died. A lot of our houses died, but we were survivors. So I sort of stumbled into the knowledge that not everybody felt that way. Some people did refer to themselves as victims, pausing for a moment for a plane to go by. Um, and they will tell they would tell you, you know, well, I, I'm a victim of this fire. And I realized it didn't seem to matter how much or how little they had lost in the fire. Some of the people who had lost family members were not bitter because they said their loved ones wouldn't want them to spend the rest of their lives being sad and bitter. And some of the people who lost um, like a detached building, one man who had lost a garage was so bitter and so attached to the victim label. And that's what clued me into the fact that it was a choice, that um, we can't always control what happens to us, but we can control our response. I like to say we can choose our story and we chose to be survivors rather than victims. And survivors also have a funny way of becoming thrivers and sometimes givers, giving from what they learned, even changers, changing things that they experience that they don't want someone else to experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's so well eloquently said. Um, as someone who's both experienced and extensively researched wildfires, what are the most crucial steps individuals and communities and fire-prone areas can take to prepare for and mitigate the risk of such disasters? That's a great thing to be thinking about. I wish we had thought about it more um, when we moved into fire country because people move in for the beauty of nature, right? And we don't always realize what the risk is. Now, of course, we're seeing whole suburban communities uh, ravaged by wildfire. Santa Rosa, California, Louisville, uh, Colorado, examples of that. The most 
important thing we know we can do if we have the space to do it is is to create what the firefighters call defensible space. That is to minimize the uh, the amount of vegetation and other flammable things around your house. You want to you want the fire as it comes toward your house to run out of fuel, so it it is uh, not able to actually take the house. Um, that's the most important thing to do. The other thing, though, is that will protect you from impinging flames. But what is sneaky, especially in a wind-driven fire, as so many of them are, the really catastrophic fires are almost always associated with wind, um, the embers are the really dangerous thing because they can blow for miles, Chris, in the wind, and they sneak into these little cracks and crevices if you have any open vents in your house, if you have leaves in your gutter, um, if you have little spaces under the tiles of your roof where they can, these embers can get into the attic and just have a party, and that will set the whole house on fire. So that is why sometimes you see these um suburban houses that have burned and they're nowhere near the fire front. And then once a house in the suburbs catches, it tends to light other houses in the neighborhood. So those are the two biggest things you can do. And also then I I recommend that people um, plan and have any, any precious items either stored off site or in the cloud, because what you miss the most that you can't replace are family heirlooms, photographs, and little things your kids made in school. Those kinds of things insurance don't doesn't cover. Yeah, yeah. So kind of, um, you know, it's a really interesting question. And so in your coaching, you transitioning into coaching and speaking, you emphasize the importance of resilience. And can you share a couple of transformative strategies or insights you provide to help individuals and communities strengthen their resilience against natural disasters like wildfire? I can. What I discovered when um, I realized that, you know, we have agency, even in the midst of disasters and tough times, I sort of stumbled into the, the uh, whole field of positive psychology. And there's a subset of positive psychology called resilience. And there's a subset of re resilience called post-traumatic growth that some of us can actually take what seems like the worst thing that's ever happened to us and turn it into something good in our lives and, and even for others, which is what I try to do by speaking on this podcast. But what I found was that all the resilience literature indicated that resilience is not just um, a static quality we inherit. It's not like you have more and I have less. We may start with that, but resilience is a buildable skill set. And it can be built, you can become more resilient through really common sense practices, but they're very powerful. So I boiled them all down to five that I call the comeback formula. And that's what I tell people. Would you like me to go through that real quick? Yeah, sure. Definitely. Okay. So we start with gratitude. Come is come to a place of gratitude. We have oodles of studies, scientific, empirical evidence that gratitude, even for a tiny little thing, is the antidote to bitterness and blame and 
uh, I think of it as that quicksand that keeps us from healing and growing. So if you can find one little thing to be grad to be grateful for, it will start you on the comeback journey. And then the letters B A C K in comeback stand for B is to be patient. Deep wounds don't heal overnight. You're a physician. Why am I telling you that? You know, but they do heal, right? Yeah. And we also can believe, that's the other part of the B, that that they will heal because resilience is in our DNA. So that's the B. A is to accept help when it's offered to you and be tough enough to ask for it when you need it. Because sometimes we just say, no, no, I'm good. I don't need your help. We It feels a little awkward sometimes to take help, but that is part of resilient strategy. The um, C is choose your story. You can be a victim if you want to, or you can be a survivor and start the whole comeback journey from there. And then um, K, I think I've hit them all. K is to keep moving forward. Just one step at a time will get you there eventually if you don't give up. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And so kind of, um, you know, we're kind of coming to the end. And so looking towards the future, what new projects or initiatives are you working on related to awareness and resilience building? And how can listeners become more involved or supportive of these efforts? Thanks for that. I have become a certified professional coach. So um, I offer coaching for people who want to take a holistic look at their lives and, and be strategic about where they want to go. And we talk about these resilience principles because they are principles for a whole and a rich life. So people um, may want to take advantage or at least to investigate coaching. And um, I also am speaking and um, offer a free or a complimentary summary of all these resilience points on my website, which is sandrayounger.com. So you can go there to get in touch with me for coaching, for speaking, and to get that free resource, the Comeback Formula Guidebook. Yeah. And for all the audience out there, let's thank Sandra for coming on. How can they follow, uh, contact you and find out more about you? They can go to that same website. There's a contact me page there. Uh, there's also a media page. They can see some of the media interviews I've done like this, and I've done a number of television interviews as well. But uh, the address again is sandrayounger.com, and they can email me at sandra at sandrayounger.com. And for all the audience out there, let's thank Sandra for coming on. Follow her on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. And with that, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you.